Welcome to Connected, a podcast with Jess. That's me. Connections are the secret to a whole life. Recognizing the connections between us and within us, mind, body, and soul, reveals the fullest potential of our humanity. Join me as I discover what connects us to each other and to ourselves. Your mind, body, and soul were not meant to live disconnected from each other. Putting all the beautiful parts of you into one breathtakingly whole experience is what you deserve. As a life coach, I work to support your story. Together, we can set free the story of you. I bring guests onto my show so that you can hear powerful stories of other women all across the world. I want you to see how profoundly important living and telling stories is. I understand what it feels like to live under expectations and programming that are not aligned with who you are. I learned to write my own story in my year of Jess, and I want to guide you as you write the story of you. Your beauty, power, and value are already in there, in you. It's time to rise into it and uncage the limitless experience that is you. You've been held back for far too long. It's time, time to take your pen back and write the story of you. If this makes your heart leap even just a little bit, let's talk. You can find out more about working with me on my website at jessicatravis.com. I hope to hear from you soon. So today, my guest is Carrie. Carrie is a friend of mine um, from uh, our running life. And um, originally, we met in our running community here in Spokane. And uh, we were both training for races, but we were also both entering the whole triathlon, um, crazy world, (laughs) addictive world of triathlon. Um, And... Um, so I'm going to let Carrie kind of share a little bit about who she is, um, so that you get to know her. And then I think both of our stories will unfold as far as how they cross over as we talk today. So Carrie, who are you? (laughs) Actually, that's a pretty good question, Jess. Um, (laughs) I was going to say to you, well, who do you think I am? (laughs) Um, it's interesting because when people, you know, people often ask, you know, who are you or what do you do? And nine times out of 10, people respond with what they do for a living, right? what their career choice is, what they do, um, what they do. Mm-hmm. And I think what I have learned in the last year, especially in the last year, is that um, my past doesn't define me. It adds Mm -hmm. definition to who I am. Mm -hmm. So a quick little synopsis of 
Carrie Kelly is, um, first of all, I am a daughter of God. I'm a wife. I'm a mom. My husband and I have 12 kids. Mm. Um, Six of them are married, so there's 18. Um, We have eight grandbabies and a ninth on the way. So I have a ninth grandson. He's not the ninth grandson, but I have a grandson due in in November. So um, I'm a friend. I'm a daughter. um, I'm a sister. um, So... Those are things who those are the things that kind of describe who I am sitting here in front of you. Um, but it's not who I am only in it's not right. just who I am inside. So right. yeah. Well, one one identity that you didn't uh, you didn't mention that I think is part of how we connected to mm-hmm. is that you're an Iron Man. <laughs> I am an Iron Man, and it's funny because, you know, Iron Man, when people say that, especially my friends or family mm-hmm. who don't know what an Iron Man is or don't understand that whole title, um, they're like, Carrie, you're an Iron Woman. And I'm like, no, no, no I'm not. I'm an Iron Man. <laughs> this is a very specific uh, title. And yes. very proud to get it. Yes. Um, the funny thing about that, Jess, is um, I complete. I competed in Iron Man Arizona in November of 2018, trained for a year for that race specifically. Mm -hmm. And um, for those of you who may or may not know, Ironman's a 2.4-mile swim, 112-mile bike ride, and then a 26.2-mile run, a marathon. It's pretty much a marathon of each of those events. Yes. I mean, it's the equality for, you know, the swim, the bike, and the run. Yes. And you do them all together. Yes, yes. (laughs) All in one fell swoop. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but um, one of the things that, that Iron Man want to hear when they cross the finish line is Mike Riley at the end saying, Carrie Kelly, you are an Iron Man. Yeah. And um, I finished my race in 15 hours and 54 minutes. And when I crossed the finish line, Mike Riley said, Carrie Kelly from Spokane, Washington. And I didn't hear him say, you are an Iron Man. Oh, no. And I was devastated for a second, and then I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm done with this race. I need to find my friends. I need to find my husband. I need to get some food in me. And as I reflected on that later and on the drive home, um, because we drove down there with our friends, Keith and Maria, and we drove home, um, which was a whole other insane Ironman event in itself. But um, (laughs) driving home, I was really like reflecting and thinking, what's in my heart why am I so hurt? Why am I so mm. upset? Because I didn't hear those words. Mm. Is that my identity? Because he didn't say those words. Mm. Does that mean you're not? And so there was a whole lot of learning I did around that because I didn't hear those words. I mean, right. we went back over the tape and I'm like, did I just miss it? And I'm like, no. I'm like, I'm going to have to do another Iron Man. <laughs> just so I Just can so hear I can those hear words. It. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but it is funny when people say, you're an Iron Woman. It's like, no, no, I'm an Iron Man. Yeah. I am an Iron Man. So it is something that I'm proud of and it's part of my story. So it is. And it uh, anybody who has trained for these events, whether um, completely finishing half or full Ironmans, um, you look for any motivator 
that's going to get you across that finish line because this is really a feat that's kind of uh, beyond us. Mm -hmm. Um, The the capacity you have to have in life to to finish one of these events, to train for one of these events is is unreal, really. And um, so when you're all your motivators get set in place of why I'm doing this and how I'm going to do this and how I'm going to finish. And that, that little piece Mm -hmm. didn't happen or you didn't hear it one or the other. Right. And, um, yeah, I can imagine that that plays with you because it's a, uh, finishing one of those crossing, one of those finish lines. Um, they're real serious about the cutoffs and if you don't make them, you're done. Um, and that is a, uh, hard-earned club to be a part of, yeah. to have your name written on that list. Yeah. And so I can I can imagine the, the wrestling that you did with yeah. that. Yeah. It was interesting that day of the race because, like I said, I trained for a year for that. And my whole goal, like you mentioned, we met in the running community. Mm-hmm. And um, I would always have said I'm not a runner. Um, I heard literally, I kept hearing this thought in my head, um, for four or five months, it started about nine years ago, run, Carrie, run. I'm like, nope, not running. Run, Carrie, run. Every time hmm. I would have quiet time, I'd hear this run, Carrie. And I knew that that was not a thought that would ever come from my logical brain <laughs> because there was nothing about running that sounded fun or right, nothing. And literally I ignored it. And I knew it was God saying, run, Carrie. And one morning I was having my quiet time. I was reading my Bible. I was in journaling and I'm kind of being a whiny pee pants with God. Like, I'm not hearing you say anything to me as I'm reading my Bible. And I hear again, just this still small voice in my mind, run, Carrie. And I was like, are you serious? Mm -hmm. I went down to my room. I got, I had a Costco pair of running shoes. I'm like, fine put these shoes on. I went to the track by my house and I tried to run a lap and I couldn't do it. And I stomped home so mad. I'm like, fine, I'll do this again tomorrow. And that literally is how I started running. My whole first year of running was, um, mostly by myself. Um, fleet feet hadn't, wasn't in Mm -hmm. Spokane yet. I didn't know any runners. Um, I just started running and, I got a magazine in the mail. It was a women's running magazine. And on the front of the magazine, it said um, it was like a couch to a half marathon plan. Mm -hmm. And I looked at it. It was addressed to me. I had never in my life ordered a magazine, especially not a a running magazine. And it had my name and my address on it. And I was like, this is the weirdest thing. I called the company and I'm like, I didn't order this magazine. Can you tell me about this? And they looked and He said, well, you have a year subscription, paid subscription right here. And I said, well, can you tell me how it was paid for? And I didn't pay for it. And they said, well, we can't give you any information if you said you didn't pay for it, but (laughs) it's a paid subscription. And I just thought, okay, fine. So I did this this training plan, and I completed my first half marathon um, in Sandpoint that year. And when I finished it, my husband ran it with me, actually. And when we finished it, there was a lady standing at the finish line handing out um, flyers for the Windermere Marathon. Mm. And I'm like, let's do that marathon. <laughs> and so um, my husband and I trained for this full marathon. About a week before, he ended up having to have surgery and it took him out of the race. And I was like, I'm not going to do this then. I'm going to do the half marathon. 
And David looked at me and he said, honey, God never told me to run. I was running with you because I wanted to spend time with you and I started to enjoy it. But you need to run this race by yourself because God told you to run. And so I finished that race. And when I crossed the finish line, my hands were in the air and I'm like, I'm going to be an Ironman someday. And that's, I I say I was marathon drunk because I had no idea what I was doing. (laughs) And I didn't know what an Ironman even entailed. But um, I said, I'm going to be an Iron Man before I'm 50 years old, is what I said. And so that started the whole process of wow. of triathlon for me. And I'd signed up for a few little sprints. Every time I signed up, it was usually around um, Hoop Fest. And I played in Hoop Fest for a number of years and got injured every time. One of my trainers finally said, Carrie, just go big or go home. You know, don't sign mm-hmm. up for these little triathlons. Do the half Iron Man. And I was like... So that I did um, Coeur d'Alene, half Ironman twice, and then we were planning on doing Coeur d'Alene full, and they took it out of the um, racing schedule. Mm-hmm. So the closest one to Spokane was Arizona, and we November we started training yeah. in 2017, and all of my dark moments came during training. Mm. Literally on race day, um, you know, they before the race, they're always, find your why. Why are you doing this? You're mm-hmm. going to hit a wall during the race. It's going to be hard. You're going to have to dig deep and figure out why you're doing this. And, you know, I had my whys already. Um, and I knew what I was going to tell myself when those moments came. And um, just, I literally hit the water and people were being pulled from the water because it was so cold. Yeah. And it felt like tepid bath water to me. I had an amazing right swim. After swimming in the Coeur d'Alene Lake. <laughs> It, I, I had an amazing swim. It was wonderful the whole way. Um, I kept thinking one of my things that got me through the race was I was like, I only get to swim for another mile. I came around the last corner. I'm like, oh, I only have, I only get to swim for 800 more yards. And the bike is my nemesis. I got on the bike. I kept thinking, you know, you'd pass the mm-hmm. signs and um, I kept thinking, I only get to do this for 12 more miles when I hit the hundred mile mark. Right. And, um, the run was the same way. My coach said to me later, I've never seen anyone on a marathon run in an Ironman in your state. I really thought you were in a different reality because every time I saw you when I would run with you, you just kept saying, I'm having so much fun. And so really, you know, you hear people say, um, race day is the victory lap for all of the training. And it was that way for me. I had, um, I'd learned so much and I'd gone through so many dark moments in training that, um, I didn't experience them on race day. Mm -hmm. So that's a gift. Yeah. I'm, I'm really quite the opposite. (laughs) My race days never turn out. Um, I, I think there is a level of pressure I put on myself on those days, but I absolutely enjoy the, the long runs, the training, the headspace of, of being there. Um, I know you and I were training for uh, the 70.3 in Coeur d'Alene when it first, the inaugural mm-hmm. year for the 70.3 here. And um, so many, you know, group bike rides and um, uh, the swim was my nemesis. It was anything I could do to get out of the water so I could get on my bike. Yeah. Um, but I got pulled from that race. Um, yeah. I got pulled out on the swim because it was just, the swim was, that's where I, I think... Uh, 
sometimes when we train in these areas, like you said, the dark spaces that happen, it always happened in the swim for me. Mm -hmm. If there was going to be an anxiety or life issue that was going to come up in my training, it was going to come up in my swim. Yeah. And then it was going to get released on the bike. Like it was, uh, there was an empowerment I would feel mm -hmm. on the bike that I could, I could work through it. I could get over to the other side. So for, for me getting pulled, I think I was, might've been seven minutes over the limit. I can't even remember yeah. now, but, um, getting pulled at that point, it was a bit unfinished. Like I never got to get on the bike and work that back out, yeah, right? Yeah. So um, there's a there's a lot of uh, life parallels in um, training. Um, I also find that if you s stay connected in the running community, triathlon community, um, you will find yourself doing things you never thought you could <laughs> <laughs> or would. Right. Yeah. And I, rem I remember one day, you know, Jackie Capps, mm -hmm. a mutual friend of ours, and she, we were at some event at Fleet Feet. It was finishing up and she, she was um, battling breast cancer at the time. And um, they were all starting to talk triathlon. It was like this whole group of us started the murmurs of triathlon and started putting our feet in the water yeah. together. And, um, and she said, uh, oh, you have to sign up for one. You just, you're going to have to do it. And I was like, I don't swim. That's not my thing. I will not do it duathlon I'll go do that and but um triathlon no I don't do yeah. and she looked at me and said <laughs> and she said if I can fight breast cancer you can get in the water and swim and I was like oh ouch okay okay so I have no more excuses yeah. I have to yeah. try this thing right yeah. and um I think that's one thing that our particular running community has bred was incredible empowerment and resilience and overcoming and yeah. And we've all seen each other through a lot of life stuff mm -hmm. in the process. Yes. Um, we've all gone through, um, I mean, I can just start counting them, yeah. of the people that we have trained with that have um, huge life things that we've overcome. Um, and I know you're one of those people. Yeah. You've had some big life things to overcome. Um, uh, I feel like you and I kind of, uh, we take our turns, you know? <laughs> no, can we stop those turns? I know, can we? Because yeah. I'm really okay with that too. Um, but I think one of the things that connects us, and I think of uh, Shelly John, and I think of Jackie Caps, and yeah. like I said, the list could get very long, of um, those of us who are, um, are or have gone through some... Um, monumental health things yeah. that um, I think the training and the running and the crossing Ironman finish lines have so much to do with it. Yeah. They are not separate. Mm -hmm. So so let's talk about some of those things um, for you. What are some of those life things that, um, that are your other Ironman events? Okay. Um, one of the things that I do every year, this will be a roundabout way in getting mm -hmm. to that point, but one of the things that I do every year and have done for quite a while is at the end of the year, sometime in December, I start, you know, praying, reflecting, thinking about a word or a verse or something to focus on for the next year. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's been really helpful and really good for me to do that. And when I started training for Ironman, one of the things that had to happen was everyone in our house, there were four of us at the time, my two youngest daughters, my husband and I were, were home, and 
everyone had to be on the same mm-hmm. page and say, yeah. yes, it's okay yeah. for you, mom, to train for an Ironman because... It's pretty much taking on a second full-time job. It really is. It yeah. really is. I mean, by the end, you know, there was 25 hours a week of training, right. minimum. Right. And so we talked about it. We looked at the training schedule. Um, and I, I was settled if Jamin said no, if Skylar said no, if David said no. I, I mean, it had to be unanimous. Mm-hmm. And everyone was like, yes, we want to do this. Um, it's It's a commitment that we're going to make too. So... Um, when I started training, it was in November and I asked, um, I started praying and asking God if he would give me one word a month to focus on, um, because my balance had to stay, mm-hmm. I had to stay really balanced yeah, it can be and my so priorities, consuming. yes, my priorities really had to be in line and training had to be the last thing I said, it has to be God, my husband, my family, my friends and work and Ironman had to be mm-hmm. last. And if those got out of whack, there was a problem. Right. And I would love to say in 12 months of training, they never got out of whack, but they did. Mm-hmm. But each of the words every month that God gave me um, helped me. How is this going to affect my relationship with God? How is it going to affect my relationship with my husband, with mm-hmm. my kids? Um, and so looking back through training journals, um, it was so helpful to see the growth that came from learning to balance priorities and keep the main thing the main thing. So, um, so training, you know, training happened, the day of the race happened and I was, I I crossed the finish line five days before I turned 50 years old. So I hit that goal. Um, physically I was in the best shape of my life. It was 150, 52 pounds of muscle and, you know, Ironman training. Mm -hmm. And, um, my, my whole goal and intention had been, you know, don't let this go. You know, after you get done with the race, you want to just right. stay fit, and <laughs> fit as a fiddle and carry right. on. Well, then, you know, the reality of I just trained for a year hits and it's like, oh, I can sit back and rest for right. a little bit. So um, I did sit back and rest for a little while. And um, I had focused, my plan was to focus in 2019 on running only because that's my sweet spot. And what I love to do um, is run. And I, you know, I'd planned a few races and I thought I'm going to get a under two hours for a half iron or for a half. And, um, I talked to my coach and I'm like, you know what? I think I just want to run for fun this year. Yeah. He goes, I think that's a good idea. So, um, it was in May. I hadn't been on my bike. I hadn't been in this, in the water. Um, I'd been running a little bit and had a few races that I'd done. And, um, my left arm started kind of bothering me. There was some pain in my shoulder and in my arm, and it just kind of felt like an impinged shoulder mm-hmm. of some kind. And I thought, oh, I can work through this. And finally, I just thought, go to the doctor and get some physical therapy because, you know, something needs to be done about this. And this is one of those areas for uh, athletes who are training. We become very in tune to pain, but we often um, mentally rise over it. And so it's very easy for us to just say, that's part of my training. Mm -hmm. This is supposed to happen, that sort of thing. So it's a real battle for athletes to switch and say, no, I really have to actually take care of this. Yeah, exactly. So I finally was like, if I am going to get back in the water, if I just go get some physical Mm -hmm. therapy. So I went into the doctor and she, um, you know, she ran some tests and did some things and moved my arm around and, um, wrote me a referral for physical therapy. And she said, you know what, I, I, I want, I want to do a CAT scan. And 
prior, when I was 36, um, I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. Mm -hmm. And by the time they found it, it was stage four ravaging my body. Um, They gave me a month to live at that point. And so once you have one cancer diagnosis, I mean, you get a hangnail and they will rush you in for testing, which was one of the benefits of having cancer. So she said, I just want to do a CAT scan, make sure everything's okay. And I'm like, that's fine. And didn't think anything about it. So they did a CAT scan. And, um, a few days later she called and she said that they had found a, a mass on my lung. was just dumbfounded. I mean, I was, I'm going in to get physical therapy and they find a mass in my lung. And I was going to Montana the first part of June um, to run the Governor's Cup half marathon. And on the way there, I just had this overwhelming sense of peace. And I really felt like God was saying to me that um, life was going to radically change, um, but it was going to be okay. And I knew it was all around the issue with my lung. And also that this would be my last race for a while. And so I I ran that race, um, enjoyed every mile of it. It's a pretty tough course, but I enjoyed every mile of it. And I knew when I got home, it was gonna be, things were gonna be pretty different. when they found that mass on my lung, they typically would wait three to six months before they do anything about it and recheck it. But because of my history, my oncologist said, no, we need to do a PET scan. And so they ran a full PET scan and found breast cancer. And um, literally when you hear those words, whether it's for the first time or the second or the third time, um, it's a word that just kind of sucks the life out of you for a minute. And I remember the first diagnosis that I had when I was 36, thinking um, literally, however you get me through this, God, I just want people to see that you're good. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really how I walked through that that journey. Um, When... This diagnosis came for three or four days. I was like, God, however you get me through this, I just want people to see that you're good. Mm -hmm. And it didn't take much longer than three or four days before I just got pissed. It's like, you know, wasn't once enough and now here's this mass in my lung and now there's breast cancer too and I was angry I was really angry and I had to get to this place of realizing um, that I don't have to pretend I don't have to pretend like everything's okay when it's not this really sucks Um, and so the the lung, the mass on my lung had to do, had to be dealt with before they could do anything about the breast cancer. And I went in and they did a biopsy and um, referred me to a lung surgeon. And the lung surgeon, they had done a CAT scan to find out exactly where it was. And I went in and I talked to the lung surgeon and he said, um, 
you know, I, I think we're going to have to take out the bottom third of your lung to get this out, but I'll do my best to just take out a section of it. And he said, it's going to be a while out. And I said, you know what? I was scheduled to have a double mastectomy on August 12th. What are you doing next week? And he said, he looks at his schedule and his, he looked at his watch actually. And he says, well, do you want to do this Monday? I'm like, yes, because I needed to get this done. But one of the things that he said to me, you know, he said, you know, tell me how you are physically. And I told him I had trained Mm -hmm. for, you know, for a year for an Ironman. And, um, he said, you know, you have the some of the healthiest lungs that I've seen in a really long time. Um, I would never believe that you had 39 treatments of radiation, that you were mm-hmm. a 30-year smoker, that you were in active addiction for 20 years. Um, your lungs are so healthy. And um, he said, you, you may have thought that you trained for a year to cross the finish line of an Ironman, but really you trained so that your lungs could be as fit and as healthy as they are right now because I need to probably take the bottom third of your right lung. And I just thought, one of my good friends always says, God never does just one thing with one thing. And um, so I was totally prepared for... um, a lobectomy on mm. that following Monday. And he said, I need one more, one more CAT scan because of where it is, it's really deep and it's really far um, down in your lung. And so I need one more CAT scan before surgery to make sure that I know exactly where it's at right now. So I had the CAT scan and that evening, I left Inland Imaging at 126. Um, and mm. that afternoon between 4.30 and 5.30, all five of my doctors were calling me and the lung surgeon said, um, I don't need to see you in the operating room on Tuesday morning. And I said, why? And he said, the mass is gone. And I said, what do you think happened? And he said, well, what I know happened is God got in there and took care of that lung cancer before I needed to. So you can deal with your breast cancer now. And so I'm literally covered in goosebumps right now. (laughs) I literally was for the longest time. And for anybody who's gone through breast cancer and having to have a double mastectomy, I mean, just there's just so So much much around that. And um, I mean, you kind of have to prepare. Yeah. (laughs) Your heart, your mind, your attitude. I mean, it's a a lot of your identity as a woman. Yeah. Yeah. And um, when I got those words, one of the hashtags that I began to use and really believe was, I get to keep my lungs. Mm -hmm. It's like, these are just boobs. Can I say boobs on this? Yes, you can. (laughs) (laughs) Now I have foobs. I call them foobs. But um, it's like, I get to keep my lungs. It's all about perspective, you know? So um, in... On August, 19, August 19th last year, I had a double mastectomy, and a few weeks, about a week later, actually, it was a year ago yesterday, I got a phone call that they'd found cancer in the lymph nodes, that they needed to go back mm-hmm. in and do another surgery um, and take those out. And when that happened, I got a staph infection, and that literally almost took me out. I remember one night in the hospital, just my whole world closing in on me, and, mm-hmm. and I really thought, I was going, this was it. it. 
Um, and so that was a whole nother battle dealing with that and getting rid of that, um, that infection. And then February 24th, I had a third surgery. So in the last six months I've had three surgeries, but, um, am now strong and healthy and feeling good. One of the things talking about friendships and relationships and the running community, um, after I was able to get over the anger again of a second diagnosis, um, or a third diagnosis, um, I really did say, God, if there's one person I can help with this, Mm -hmm. um, then it, it will be, it will have been a blessing. Yeah. And, um, you know, you mentioned Shelly John and I have a friend, Elizabeth and Jill Johnson walked through tons of this with me. And, um, there is this camaraderie that comes from cancer. There's this camaraderie that comes from, um, the running community, the triathlon community. And it's such a diverse group of people, but, um, you know, cancer doesn't care where you come from who you are. Mm -mm. Um, but the relationships, all of those started from the relationships that I began because I was like, okay, I'll get my Costco running shoes on and I'll go try Mm -hmm. to run a lap around a track. I wouldn't be sitting here with you had I finally just said, okay, all you're really asking me to do is run. Right. Okay. I'll run. Yeah. So, yeah, it's such a, um, (laughs) it's, it's a crazy, the layers of metaphor that exist with, uh, running. Um, I think of right now there's a popular hashtag, um, from Glennon Doyle, I can do hard things. Mm-hmm. And I th- think about that, uh, because triathlon is something running is something we choose to do. We can opt out at any point in right. time, but these types of things, yeah, we don't get to choose them yeah, and we still have to do the hard thing. Yeah. And we have to face things about ourselves that we, usually didn't even know was there yeah and um and we didn't expect to face um really puts life in perspective um right now I'm kind of in that uh that space of with with COVID where um I I pendulum swing a lot in how I feel during this pandemic but there have been times where I'm like I I don't know how many more you know, nine lives I exactly. have, you know, and I really don't want to get this. And so there's a little bit of, you know, anxiety that sits in there that I've already, I've already done this really hard thing. I don't want to do another yeah. hard thing yeah. <laughs> at the same time. Um, it, at such, uh, critical, uh, spaces, um, changes who you are in a way that you wouldn't give that up for anything. Yeah. I think just that hashtag, I can do hard things. Um, One of the things that I was most fearful about with the surgery and the double mastectomy and then the second surgery was the length of recovery time that they Mm -hmm. said it would be. And I'm a very social, active person. Um, i very extroverted. Mm -hmm. I get very filled up. I do need some time by myself, but what fills my tank is being with people. Mm, Yeah. And, um, and I knew that that wasn't going to be able to happen. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had, I was looking at eight to 12 weeks in my home, um, you know, being cared for by other people, not being able to do things. And I was really terrified about what my mental space, what my heart space, what I was, what that was going to do to me. Mm -hmm. Um, 
thank God for good pain medication because some of that was used <laughs> in the yeah. early days uh, because I was on so much pain medication. But um, after the anger subsided about that, I was like, okay, you can waste all this time, Carrie, being angry, yeah. or you can do the hard thing and you know look at what might God want you to learn or do through this time because just because you're sitting in a chair that needs to be lifted up for you to get out of it doesn't mean that you can't still be active and do things. Yeah. And, um, they might look different than, you know, driving in your car to go meet people, but are you going to waste this time? Right. And so I really felt, you know, looking back through old journals and stuff, I really was able to see some of the good that God was bringing out of this hard time. Um, and I was just getting into, um, planning some races for the next year. Um, I started walking a mile a day, at least a mile a day every Mm -hmm. day in um, the middle of October. And I was starting to feel stronger. And I knew I was going to have another surgery in June. Um, In the first part of February, my surgeon said, you know, we have to do this surgery now. It's not looking good. I'm worried there's more infection and yada, yada. And so what was this surgery in June supposed to be for? It was the final surgery to, um, for the reconstruction okay. and, you know, take out the implants and put in the, the foobs and, you know, uh-huh. um, right. should be pretty simple. Um, but there was some more complications. And, um, so I was just getting ready to kind of get back into my normal life, taking care of my grandkids and doing things that I hadn't been able to do for a while. And then I get this Because you have this epic stroller that needed to be used. And I know it was part of your, (laughs) it's like, what, how how many kids is it? Six. Six kids. Six kids. Yeah. And um, this was part of your thing. I got to get back to that stroller. Yeah. You know? Yep. It, I did. And, and it was going to happen in February. And then I find out I have to have another surgery and, um, so I had the ne- the final surgery February 24th, and when I went in to see my doctor, um, he said, for my post-op, he said, you know, schedule your appointment for April, but I don't think I'll see you. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, just make your appointment in April, but um, I probably won't see you in the office. And I was kind of taken back by that. And, you know, COVID had kind of started to come mm-hmm. um, into the forefront of people's minds and the people in in Bellevue or Kirkland, mm-hmm. um, there were those 26 cases. And, and I said, what do you mean? And he said, COVID is going to happen and it's going to change the way things are working in Spokane and my office probably won't be open in April. And it just blew me away. And I was like, okay. So I scheduled my appointment and he was right. I didn't see him. And, you know, quarantine happened. And again, the I can do hard things I was like, I just spent six months, you know, down without people, without doing the things that I wanted to do. And now we're sheltering in place at home. Are you <laughs> You're kidding like, me? Bring it on. Yeah. And then I thought, you know, wow. I, can, I know how to do this. <laughs> but um, again, going through this time, it's been, um, I can go through it angry or mad, yeah. agreeing or disagreeing, thinking this is all a big hoax or it's not, it doesn't change where we are. Right. And, um, my having a poor attitude about it one way or the other affects me and the people well, I love. And when your body needs all the energy and resources it can have to stay healthy, 
that's a lot of energy spent on yeah. being angry. And yeah. that's, uh, that's definitely one that I have contemplated through my story too, has been, I have a limited resource of energy. Where am I going to allow it to yeah. go? Yeah. And it really makes you think through those things yeah. and your perspective of things. And how it affects the people around yeah, you. Absolutely. I mean, it, um, and I thought COVID was going to be this big deal. And then, um, you know, the other, the other big piece of what's happening now with, um, all of the murders of, of black men and women, um, I can do hard things. (laughs) You know, you were talking about, um, you know, being able to just kind of put things away, compartmentalize and Mm -hmm. like, oh, this is really hard drawer for me to deal with. This is the junk drawer I don't want to deal with. So I'll go on to something else. Right. Um, you know, in May when, um, George Floyd was murdered, I became, um, I became so angry yeah, and didn't even realize where some of that was coming from because, um, really because I was ignorant about a lot of things. Um, and I've thought so much. I've, so in the last three months I've done tons of reading, tons of Mm -hmm. listening to, yeah, we have a a stack going and yeah. Um, I see some of the books up there that I have too. Um, I'm doing an equity, uh, group from a professor out at Eastern and, um, just learning about all of the things that I didn't know. Right. And, and race hits very close to home for you. It really, it really does hit close to home because, um, one of my, um, children is black. I have, I have six, children, five daughters and one son. And then my husband came with six boys. That's how we ended up with 12. Um, but my daughter, Skylar, who will be 21 in September is, um, I say she's my little mocha baby and her and I had a conversation in June and I, I asked her, I said, is that okay that I say that? Cause I've always called her that. And she said, it's okay for you to call me that mom. But, um, so she was raised with a what white... It, that's, a, that's a beautiful thing, though, that you're willing to say, hey, maybe I got this wrong all along, and asking her, well, what do you need from me in this comment? Yeah. yeah. I, Jess, I got, it, I got it wrong a lot, and I didn't even realize how wrong I got it. Um, I mean, every one of my kids, I've got so many things wrong with. You know, I mean, we all make mistakes. Yep, that's um, what we... And... <laughs> You know, the legacy it, of being a mom is yeah. <laughs> is continuing to work through those things yes. that we did right and yeah. the things that we didn't do right. And I mean, it could be a whole other podcast about yeah. that part of my life. But um, so my my kids, all of them have experienced things in their life that they shouldn't have had to experience because of the choices that their mom made that mm-hmm. they had nothing to do with. Um, but one of the things with Skylar, I mean, she's this beautiful black Mm -hmm. woman, strong, smart, um, was raised with, um, her sisters and her brother and me, and we're all white. And, um, shortly after the George Floyd murder happened, I remember, um, having a moment where I, we were out at the lake and I was just pretty melancholy and God was really clear with me that I needed to apologize to Skylar for some things that I said and some things that I had done. And 
I called her. I, I just knew I needed to call her right then and apologize to her. And I said to her, um, one of the things that I always said to her growing up is, honey, you're just as white as you are black, which genetically is very, very true. She's got a white mom and a black father. Um, and I never said that um, to hurt her feelings or with mm-hmm. you know any in, any intention of of that being a harsh or mean thing. Um, it was just kind of like it's the truth, you know. You're just as right. white as you are black. And um, I was pierced. My my heart was pierced with how wrong that was. Um, and so when I called her and talked with her about it, she just broke down in tears and she said, "Mom, I've been waiting my whole life." to hear you say those mm. words. And she said, I, I forgive you. And I have, um, I've experienced forgiveness um, twice in my life when I knew that I didn't need to do anything else to earn it. And the first time was when um, I gave my life to the Lord and I just said, God, I need you, forgive me, you know, forgive me for my sins and the things that I've done wrong. And I knew that it was immediate and that I didn't need to earn anymore. Mm -hmm. I just needed to acknowledge and and say I was sorry. And when I said those words to Skylar and she said, Mama, I forgive you. I just needed to hear those words. Mm -hmm. Um, We have had there's there's still tons of stuff. There I mean, there's always going to be things to work through. but I know it's not something that she holds against me or that she'll throw in my face um, or bring up. And remember when you did this, Skylar has become one of my um, greatest teachers in this whole um, mm. idea of becoming an anti-racist right. and what racism looks like, what systematic oppression looks mm-hmm. like. I mean, literally, Jess, I had no idea. I would have told you three months ago, four months ago, I'm not racist. I'm not prejudiced. I'm colorblind. I love everybody. Sorry. I love everybody. Um, everybody's equal. I mean, those in and of those of themselves, those aren't horrible, mean statements to say, but they're very ignorant. Right. And so, um, a couple of days after that conversation, I called Skylar and I said, um, I need to come out. I called and called and called her. She it was. I started calling her like at eight thirty in the morning, and finally about noon she answered. And I said, "You know, honey, um, I need to come out and talk to you. I really feel like you know God said you put a stake in the ground and you apologized to Skylar, but you need to put a stake in the ground and publicly do that." And I was like, "Well, how do I do that?" And I thought, "Well, we could do a Facebook Live." And I told her that, and she said. Um, she goes, Mom, I think um, I had, she had something going on, and maybe we could do it tomorrow. And she goes, no, come out right now. Mm-hmm. And so I drove out to Cheney, and her and I did, it was about an hour long, just this conversation between a mom and a daughter um, and where we were at and what we had gone through. And Skylar really helped start me um, on this journey of realizing that colorblindness is an issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, she's like, I'm, I'm black mom. I'm black. And you can't look at me. I mean, I, I, I want growing up, I looked at her and her brother and sisters and I'm like, they're my beautiful kids. They're, you know, they're all the same. 
Well, there's no denying when you look at, and when people looked at me, the single mom with the, all these kids, that here's this white single mom with a black girl and right. her other siblings, you know? Right. And so um, I've been on this journey now um, of really becoming aware in a painful way what my ignorance, um, the pain that it's caused other people, um, and then also realizing I can't get stuck. When you get stuck in the anger, when you get stuck in right. the pain, when you get, you know, I'm so terrible, I'm right. so... Then it becomes all about me, and I don't want to do anything else right. about it. <clears throat> I, so. I so understand that. As um, uh, this, I think this has been the effort for us is when you start to recognize where you thought wrong, where you saw things wrong, uh, where you understood things wrong, you it's very easy to then to turn that spotlight back on myself and say, oh my gosh, you know, and um, I had, I have a very close friend who is black and I kept asking her questions and, and um, wanting to understand life through her perspective. Mm-hmm. And one of the wisest things that she said to me is, um, this is your journey. You no, know, the, yeah, this yeah. is, this is not mine. I've been here doing this all along, right. you know? And, um, and I thought, oh, wow. You know, I, even in me asking the questions, I was turning the spotlight back to myself yeah. and that's, it's been a real, um, challenge to make sure that, um, in this process of, uh, growth and, um, opening my eyes to what I need to open them to, right. that I don't actually become the consuming factor in this um, issue that is truly, um, particularly here in America, truly, yeah. truly a problem. Yeah. I I have been um, really thankful for, um, for Skylar, and um, I have another dear friend. We get together every Monday, and she's... She's an amazing woman who has really um, taken me by the hand and said, I'll walk through this journey with you. Um, and she's she's taught me so much. Um, but even in the first couple of weeks of getting together with her, I've realized um, it's not her job to answer all of my mm-hmm. questions. Right. Um, it's, not, it's not Skylar's fault. It's not her fault. It's not my other friends of color's fault that I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And thus, I, you know, I have a stack of books like this, and right. um, I'm listening to all sorts of things. And one of the things that I appreciate so much is Skylar said to me, Mom, this is not a class that you're going to pass or fail. Because I, I read books, I underline, I want to make notes, I have to look you up definitions. You don't want to say it wrong, you don't want to do it wrong. Yes. You don't, yeah, I get that. And, she's, and Skylar said, and my friend Steffi said, just start reading, just start listening, just start watching. Mm. These books aren't books you're going to read once and put away. You'll go back to them again and again. It's like we're getting this fire hydrant of information now. And um, I've been in this place of what sticks is what needs to stick for now. Mm -hmm. Um, But don't stop learning. Don't stop growing. Don't stop engaging um, because that's not going to change anything. And so... One of the things when I first started, I became so overwhelmed, just like with the history of our nation, you know, the things yeah, that I didn't know. that's the thing that I think Casey and I are most blown away with is that uh, um, <laughs> I feel like we got a 
uh, it's not even 50% of a history book. You know, yeah. it's yeah. just maybe it, an eighth. Right. Yeah. And, um, and the, and the tilt that is on that history book. And, yeah. um, it, it, one of the things that, uh, we've become very, uh, I don't know if the right word is convicted because it just sounds like I, I did something wrong, but more empowered mm-hmm. to do is that the conversations about racism for us need to happen with the white community mm-hmm. that we, have a responsibility within the white community to keep having the conversation about racism. Yeah. Um, that we don't forget um, that we need to keep learning, like yeah. you said. Yeah. Um, because as soon as we think, um, okay, I've read my book and <laughs> I've checked my uh, list of things that yeah. um, that I've changed my mindset on. Yeah. Um, we forget mm-hmm. that it's um, a deep, deep issue that we need to keep um, changing and yeah. we need to keep. Um, having our communities evolve in. Um, and I think it's, um, you know, the black community has raised its voice for so many years on this. So many people have died for that, for raising that voice that, um, it's time for us to be the voice, um, in this too. Yeah. And, um, it's time for us to make the sacrifices, to make the change. Um, so, um, I, I feel like, I want to keep having those conversations within the white community, but I think the thing that blows my mind, Carrie, is that I am, I am, I think, really dumbfounded um, at two things. One, how ignorant uh, the white community really is to the issue of racism, mm-hmm. um, and the other is how racist people actually are, yeah. and um, and I think that's a we talk about emotional energy and anger and things. I think for me, I, on a daily basis, I am working out that internal anger at, um, you know, racism. I was talking with someone last night that I'm really open to lots of conversation. Um, because when you get into a growth mindset, you're like, okay, I have something to learn in every aspect of my life. There's new things to learn about my faith, about health, about, um, spirituality about there's, there's just this constant, you're, you're in this mode of saying, I am becoming more and more self-aware. I want to understand. I want to learn. And the thing that, uh, I won't agree to disagree on is this issue. It's racism. And I think that because I feel so strongly in that way, I am, I am so surprised that I actually have to, um, I have to let people fall out of my life yeah. because of this. Mm-hmm. And that I think is the part that gets me so angry that I even have to have this conversation yeah. um, around racism with uh, the, you know, the white people or family in our life yeah. that aren't get, aren't getting this. And I think that that has been um, something that's been pretty hard for me to deal with too, is underneath the anger of realizing that I'm, I have to lose some friends and some family over this is, the deep sadness, um, you know, the, the, the word woke is yeah. big right now. Um, I mean, it's been big for a while, but right. I, I just got woke, if mm-hmm. you will, in, mm-hmm. in the end of May, first part of June. And um, one of the things that I know I can't do, I, I said to a friend one time, one day, 
man, the stuff I'm reading and learning about is so heavy. It's just, I mean, there's this weight right. on me and I'm in this process of lamenting and grieving. Um, and also in that realizing I, you know, my family, my, my history going back may not have had any part of what America looked like or what our friends of color, people of color have dealt with for 400 years. Um, my friends of color may not obviously weren't alive back then, Mm -hmm. but one thing that I can do is say, I am so sorry Mm -hmm. for what happened. And, um, would you forgive me for the things that happened to your family, your people? And, um, I was really sitting in this place of God, this is so hard. I just want to pick up my book that, you know, my little fiction novel that's just all light and cheery and fun to read. And, and I'll go back to this tomorrow. And it was like that quick. God reminded me. That's your white privilege. Yeah. Your, your daughter doesn't <laughs> yeah, get, get to, to put this that. away. Your right. friends of color don't get to put this right. away. Right. And, um, I've, I've had some really great conversations with people, um, and what I appreciate about you and the stories of women that you you have talked to and Casey's podcast of Lenses is um, listening to other people's stories to understand. Um, I have always been, and you know, you've heard if you've been in therapy at all, you know, <laughs> don't listen to react, listen to respond. Right. You know, listen with this open mind to respond to whatever Jess has to say. And what I've learned is um, that can be kind of a, a scapegoat for me too because I need to just listen to understand mm. or just period listen. Yeah. I can listen to your story and just let you talk. Mm-hmm. I don't need to interject, well, what about this, Jess? Or did yeah. you think about that? Or a really great one is, well, that was me too. And then put the focus back on me. Right. Listening is so important. And when I listen to your story, it doesn't mean that I have to take... It's just like when I'm reading books. When I listen to your story, I don't have to walk out of here going, oh, now I have to adopt all of the things in Jess's story in my life. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or Jess has to adopt all the right. things that I think and believe into her life. But if I want a relationship with you and I want you to care about my story, I need mm-hmm. to listen to yours. Right. And just because it didn't happen to me doesn't mean it's not real. Yeah. And so... And I, and I would add to that, Carrie, because y- you and you and I, um, y- you piggybacked my story with your story. Mm-hmm. Um, after my tumor, um, there was a little bit of space, and then you started your journey down the, the road that you just mm-hmm. shared with us. And um, when I uh, got done with my surgery and I... Um, Pain meds are a funny thing. Um, they don't always let your body do what you want. And especially as someone who's trained for sports, mm-hmm. you uh, have a very strong will to overcome what you think the body can't do. Yeah. And um, so I would walk up and down this street in front of my house. And I actually, you know, I, Casey and I talk about, you know, a dream house someday. But it's really hard to think about walking away from the street because there was so much that happened in healing from my surgery, walking up and down. And the first few walks, I couldn't see. And so I'm holding onto his arm and I'm walking with my eyes closed and just 
okay, I'm outside. I know I'm outside. We're just going to walk and move. Um, to me trying to run again and, you know, that whole journey. Mm -hmm. And there was a point in my journey where um, if I went out on a run, um, it would take me three, four days to recover from it, where the exhaustion was so deep that I'm going, what am I doing this for? Like I, I actually take myself out of the game for three or four days. Something I had never experienced with running. I had known running to be something where the more I do it, the more energy it gives back to me. And so this was a very opposite um, experience. And so then you started your journey. And as you started to come back, you were moving forward in this running and every day, you know, from the walk to the run and, and seeing this progress. And I thought there was some of that comparing my story with your story yeah. and going, why can't I do that? Mm-hmm. Why can't I just get out there and do that? And um, this was the downside for me, uh, being having been so integrated in the running community, yeah. that um, I've seen so many people bounce back. I've seen so many people do amazing things that they didn't expect their bodies to be able to do, and they they found that will over it and, and moved through it. And I wasn't finding that anymore. And this was one of those where I had to wrestle with just that's Carrie's story. Mm-hmm. That's not yours. Yeah. You have something else that you're working on. Let her work on hers. Yeah. And um, when I finally came to that place, it actually relieved me from the expectation I put on myself right. that was uh, that was unrealistic at that time. Mm-hmm. Someday I will get back to running, mm-hmm. um, but I'm waiting for I'm waiting for my body to say, okay, now it yeah. now's the time. Yeah, and um, so we walk. You know, we do we do other things, but um, but I I uh, really understand that uh, in this time of so many stories being uh, told and shared and perspectives being shared, there is this element where we have to take it in, we have to listen, say that when that story belongs to you and I can celebrate it with you. Um, But it isn't my story. Yeah. And my story looks like this, and I would hope that you could come and celebrate mine with me wherever it exists. And that's been a huge... A shift for me as I work through the issues of racism and politics and uh, religion and all these things that are really loud and noisy right now yeah. is going, I, I know I don't agree with you on this particular issue, but I have to still listen. What is it that you're saying? Mm-hmm. If I can get past some of these heavy words or in these um, cliche comments, um, is there a story here for me to understand about you? Yeah. Um, I know that's the, the whole point of Casey's podcast is to, um, to exchange his lens for somebody right. else's lens, but I think it's a powerful thing. And for people like you and me, who've gone through some really hard, um, health and life issues, um, I think it's, the, it's very similar. We have to be careful that we're not, um, I'm, I'm not going to make the same choices for my health that somebody else is going to make, it doesn't make it right or wrong. It makes it different. Um, And I think that that's what helped me come out of mine feeling very empowered about my journey Mm -hmm. was saying, these were the, this is what I was set out before, you know, laid out my circumstances. 
And I had to make the decisions through those circumstances of what I was going to do. I know Casey went through it with me, but I still had to decide to show up for that surgery. I still had to decide to recover. I still, you know, those were still the things I had to journey through and, um, and learning to just own my own story is really powerful. One of the things you said that I was thinking about, um, is, you know, me coming alongside you or you coming alongside me to celebrate your story, Mm -hmm. um, that's the gift of friendship and the gift mm-hmm. of community, the gift mm-hmm. um, that comes with knowing um, just might not agree with everything that I say or do. I might not agree with everything just mm-hmm. says or does. Right. But I know that I could call you just like I did two weeks ago and say, Jess, this is what's going on with me. Yeah. And you were willing to walk through and celebrate whatever it was. Right. Um, I also know if... I said, Jess, this is what I think, believe, and how I'm going to act about A, B, C, or D. Um, you wouldn't, and it's totally opposite of what you're believing or thinking. Right. You wouldn't say, you wouldn't put your hands up and say, Mm-mm. Carrie, I don't want you in my life anymore. No. Um, that has been, you might not walk alongside me and say, I'm going to celebrate with you because we're on total opposite pages, but you're not going to shut me out of your life. Right. I'm not going to shut you out of my life. Um, Looking at some of our friends of color and people of color that we don't even know, um, how they've been treated and judged solely on the base of their skin color, people are walking away from them, has been so infuriating. And I mean, you've seen and you've heard, we've talked, I've talked with Casey, talked with a lot of different people about um, where I'm at and what I'm learning and what I'm doing. And um, I've literally had people that, I would have considered, I mean, they were lifelong friends. Right. Who've said really horrible, mean, terrible things, sent texts or emails or just totally shut me out of their life because, oh, Carrie's really into that black thing, you know. And I'm just like. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Wow. And, And then my little feelings get hurt and I'm like, oh, my God. But then I realize, you know. Look at what our friends of color and people of color deal with every single day. Um, I did have a conversation um, with my pastor because I really knew that I needed my husband and my pastor to know this is where I'm at and this is what I'm doing Mm -hmm. and this is, this is where I'm going. And um, David said to me, you know, honey, you're, you're pretty radical. (laughs) And, um, and he goes, and I, and we serve a really radical God. I think he's going to, um, be doing some things in you that we don't even have any idea about. And, um, when I talked to my pastor and shared with him some of the things that were going on and that I was wrestling with and dealing with, he said, um, you know, the one thing that I want you to remember is to stay very attentive and, um, ask God, what is it that he wants you to specialize in and then find that lane and hit the gas. Yeah. And, this is a lane in our world, in our community, in our nation um, that I can't, I can't let the, my foot off the gas. Yeah. And going back to where we started, you know, I learned um, such a different level of commitment, of um, doing the hard thing, whether you want to do it or not. 
you know, when you wake up and you've got 140 miles of training to get done on the weekend. Yeah, I don't really feel like doing that today. Well, the the end result is you're not going to be able to finish that race if you don't do the work today. And um, I don't want, um, you know, my my priorities really are, God, what do you want? What do you want me to do? Um, Some of those things I don't want to do, like run, Carrie. It was so simple. It was Mm -hmm. just simple. Mm -hmm. No, I'm not going to run. But then I look back over the last nine years and the blessing and the gifts that have come from that. Um, simple, okay, I'll put some shoes on and run. Um, right now, it's like, speak up, Carrie. Learn, Carrie. Study, Carrie. Um, you know, say, do the hard things. Well, I might lose some friends over it. My family doesn't want to talk to me anymore. Um, people are saying really rude, horrible things on my Facebook page. You know, Do the hard things, Carrie. I know, and I remind myself that, uh, well, it, I, can, I can get... Uh, pretty worked up when I see some things that people that I didn't expect to hear things from are saying on on social media. One, there's a brazenness on social media that um, I need to stay away from anyway. (laughs) But um, the other day, Case and I were taking um, a rental car back to turn it in. Our Jeep was done being fixed and we were on our way, gas it up and take it back to the rental car place. And, um, this guy pulled out and hit us um, on kind of the back driver's side. And I was like, oh, I'm so mad. We were almost there. <laughs> like um, now we have this whole thing to deal with. And so we get pulled off, pulled over. There wasn't a ton of damage, but it doesn't take a lot for it to cost a lot. And then I'm just like, man, I didn't really want this today. And the guy gets out of the car and he's up black man and Casey gets out and you know Casey is a big guy and then a police officer pulls over and he's a white police officer and I thought I really don't care about this car getting hit the things that I imagined that he had to go through in that moment of all of the um, social context that he had to deal with Mm -hmm. and whether I don't know if he was afraid, you know, I don't know all of the things that he felt as a black man having to deal with his situation with us. And it just, uh, it just stopped any frustration I had right in its tracks. And I thought, this is another one of those. I have, um, my own personal interruption in the day and perspective. And this happens and the cop rolls up behind us. I don't think twice about that cop getting out of the car, but I imagine he did. Yeah. And so it's, it's continually reframing um, and being aware that my world really does live differently. Yeah. And um, I'm, I'm committed to continue learning it. I'm committed to continue finding um, my errors in it and where I need to make uh, a change in awareness. And um, I don't expect it to be one of these things that you know, gets done overnight. It's going right. to be a lifelong process because, um, for whatever reason, we weren't aware of what we weren't aware of. Exactly. And, um, so I didn't spend 46 years understanding this as my culture. 
um, like my black, black friends did. Yeah. And so it's time for me to, you know, the fire hose yeah. and, and start uh, rearranging my life and my perspective around this. It is, I, I agree with you, you know, pick, pick that lane and, and hit the gas. And this is one of those for me too, that, um, I cannot stop now. I have to understand what that actually looks like on a daily basis Yeah. or, um, or I will just become an angry person for being, an, you know, just angry for being angry. Right. So um, understanding how I can take that uh, that energy that comes from being so angry, where, where is it best fueled? Where does it go? Um, and I don't have answers to those questions yet. I think it's something that we're going to to learn as as we go. But I do know it starts with having more conversations and more conversations and yeah. understanding more. But. And being okay with um, what and who fall away, because I know mm-hmm. the people, um, I know the people that have said things and done things and are just totally gone from my life right now. Um, it, I know that I can't take it personally. I can't take it personally. It's not about me. No, it's not about me. Um, and. So staying committed, you know, there's some relationships in my life that are really hard right now. Um, And me inserting myself forcefully into them isn't going to change anything. What I've learned um, is staying very active doesn't look like busyness. Mm. You know, um, you and I don't see each other every day. But mm-hmm. it doesn't mean we're not actively friends. Oh, there's a lot of people we don't see every day now. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Thanks to <true>. COVID. <laughs> okay, duh. All right. Okay. No, no, no. But I'm just <laughs> saying. No, it's, but it's. Th- but I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Um, but we can get together and have this conversation, yeah. and it's yeah. like we just saw each other yesterday. Right. But um, you know, active activity doesn't mean action, and I'm really learning that. I think COVID. I think the cancer yeah. recovery has helped me. Um, I can be on the sidelines of someone's life that I love with all of my heart, praying intently, cheering wildly, um, and not be an everyday part of their life um, and know that I'm still doing what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, I think uh, all of this time and all of this that we're relearning um, is forcing us to look at community differently. Mm -hmm. Um, How do we connect being um, in, more intentional yeah. about connection with yeah. each other. Um, and I think we're all learning to choose our words differently too yeah. because the languages that we've used to describe life or to describe ourselves has had to shift. Um, and I think that the people, the spaces that I have for relationships in my life are far more intentional and focused yeah. than they used to be. Um, it's not as broad (laughs) as it once was and um and that's okay I think um I think it's always okay to go deeper rather mm, than wider wider. yeah yeah I think right now I feel like a richer person for that Mm -hmm. um because I'm uh I am spending more time like you said listening than I used to yeah um than just participating you know it's really easy to show up 
at events or at gatherings and just show up and be present, but not really have any uh, depth to that experience. And now if I get the chance to be face to face with someone, you really want to take advantage of it. You really want to make sure that you got out of that and put into that the way you wanted to, because it might not happen again (laughs) for a while. So I, um, I think these, uh, these times are forcing us all in varying levels to reevaluate how, how we connect with each other and connect with ourselves, um, how we support each other. We have to think differently and what that looks like, um, and what we offer the, the world. Um, I think many of us are revisiting what am I passionate about? You know, what is the lane that I want to press the gas pedal in? Yeah. You know, and I think that's uh, in the midst of those times being uncomfortable. I think it's exciting times because yeah. I think some really good things are going to happen. It's it's going to come with cost, but I think really good things are going to happen. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. And I think it's... Um, it, the change that's going to happen in my world, in our world, um, had to start mm. with me. Right. You know, it, it has to start with me and my sphere of influence. And the whole comparison, you know, mm-hmm. me comparing myself to what I used to be um, or where I was a year ago or where I was two years ago um, is going to do zero good for Carrie Kelly today mm. if I'm stuck in the past. Um, and so I have to stop comparing myself. Um, and really the most important thing for me every day is, um, what's my, ne- I, I, I really have to start with God and in the word and what's my next step for today. And sometimes I don't like it. I mean, literally, um, in the last few days, um, one of the things that I know I'm supposed to do is, um, write myself a letter and give it to a friend to send back to me in three months. Mm. And I have an office area that it's a desk that catches everything in my husband's (laughs) office. And I know that I'm supposed to clean that desk off and get it ready for the work that God wants to do Mm. in me and through me at that desk. Mm. Those are two so simple things, such simple things. And why am I afraid to do them? Kind of afraid of what I'm going to say to myself that I'll read in three months Mm. and what work does God want to do in me and through me at this desk. Um, but I know it's part of the lane that I'm in. So I'm going to hit the gas and I set myself, um, September 2nd, I'll have that letter done and my desk will be functional and workable. So, wow. How about you? Uh, um, I have been on, a journey specifically to, um, it's this, it's this interesting, um, juggle between, um, allowing the story of who I am to rise to the surface. I've spent a lot of years with it clouded by a lot of different things. Um, and sometimes just being busy, you know, you get busy and you forget what it is that, what, what are you passionate about? What do you like? What do you care mm-hmm. about? Um, so these times are, are good for that. Um, I've really come into connection with um, the fact that my strongest core value, um, my way of speaking to the world and engaging the world is justice. 
Um, so I'm sitting kind of on this, I feel like I'm sitting on the edge of a cliff, cliff of landscape. And I know there's a space that I'm going to step into, um, in the issues of justice. Um, but I think it, for me right now, it starts with letting people tell their stories and listening so that I can understand the world differently, but also because I believe that each one of our stories is valuable. It's what creates the communities that we live in. And um, so I feel like I'm in a little bit of that, that holding zone, that something is ahead, something is going to break through. I think it's in this realm of justice because it's what I keep coming back to. Mm -hmm. It's the thing that I keep finding my uh, soul gravitate towards. Um, but right now I don't necessarily feel equipped like, okay, I know what this is. Here's what I'm going to do. You know, it, it hasn't, hasn't played out like that for me. So, um, this podcast to me is a justice issue. Um, it's, uh, allowing voice to the stories that haven't, um, either haven't been told or that we just need to hear. Um, and giving value to sometimes it's the everyday things that we are doing that we don't necessarily even know we're doing, but they, they change how someone else enters their day. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, yeah, I feel like there's a desk waiting too. You know, what is it going to look like? Casey and I actually built this desk that we're sitting at right now during the COVID shutdown, um, because we were doing more and more podcasting. So we designed something that we could both work at and, and have these, uh, podcast conversations and, it feels when we did it and it feels now like I walk in and I go, there's going to be a lot that happens around this desk. Um, and I actually think it's going to matter. Um, so I'm excited to see what, what that looks like in the future too. Um, I think it, it already does matter. Jess, you guys are doing a great job. mm, Thank you. You're doing a great job. And I am absolutely humbled and really honored to be sitting at this desk and, Know, for what my story is worth, um, that's what it's worth, and I'm really grateful. Your story is worth it, and it's um, because I I have watched your story play out. Um, really, just a small portion of your story, because if you're like you know, I know you're like me. Somebody said one day, well, I don't know what my story is, and I said, well, I have to start thinking in chapters. When you get to a certain age, right. <laughs> My life has more like, you know, these chapters. What right. chapter am I going to share, right? Um, but it's the chapter that I've viewed in your life mm-hmm. has been one that has inspired me. Um, it's helped me to keep moving through each day and going, God, Carrie, she can do this thing. I can too, you know. Mm-hmm. My hashtag in my process was tumors don't win. Yeah. And I was determined that... Um, Even if that tumor came back cancerous, even if that tumor couldn't be removed from my head, it didn't win my life. It didn't win how I lived every day. Um, So um, those are the the empowering um, things that I see happening in your life that give me strength to keep going and to keep um, doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, That's why I ask you to be here. That's why your story is important to be shared. Somebody's going to connect with your story and say, okay, I can do that one more thing. We used to tell our runners in our um, 5K program, you can do anything for one more minute. Yep. 
right? Yeah. When I got my first PR um, at the Spokane Half Marathon, um, I don't remember who it was, but ran alongside me. You can do anything for one more minute. You yeah. can do it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Just one more minute. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> let's try one more minute. Okay. One more minute. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's amazing what we find um, within ourselves too, the strength and the overcome and the perspective and the growth and the change. Um, I'd much rather be in that arena than be, you know, sticking my heels in the ground and saying, if I've already gotten here, I'm going to stay this way. Yeah, you exactly. So. Because there will come a day when we'll look back and go, hmm. what did I do with that? Yeah. What did I do with that? And I, I want, I, I want my life to count. <laughs> I want the decisions that I make mm-hmm. to count. And I want the fact that I am no longer ing- ignorant about a lot of things yeah. to count because it's so much easier to default mm-hmm. to ignore, put your head back in the sand. Um, but we're definitely at a time and a place where that is going to be really mm-hmm. detrimental. And the, I think the biggest conviction I've had has been that that is my white privilege is that I could go put my head back in the sand and I have the privilege of doing that. Yeah. And to fight against my white privilege is to not do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I am so uh, grateful to you, humbled that you would share your story with me and to the people who listen to the podcast. And um, I am um, excited to see what unfolds with September and um, what that desk gets to hold for you. So we may have to have you back again to share with us what the adventure looks like. So, All right. I'm going to write the letter and I'll let you know. Thank you. Thanks, Jess. Thank you for listening. And may you keep connecting all the beautiful parts of you. 